This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray together. Our Father, I know that some of us uh, here this evening come with heavy hearts, aching from the throb of old scars, and some come with heavy hearts with the sting of new and fresh wounds. Some of us come with hearts full of joy, and some of us come not quite sure why we're here or what to expect. But I pray for each one of us, Lord, just as we turned to face the gospel as it was being read, that you would turn all of our hearts to receive that same gospel. And pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a few days after the darkest day of the year, we gather together as for 2,000 years people have in one way or another to contemplate the light of the incarnation. In our prayers, in our songs, in the scriptures, in our brief moments of silence, we reflect together on the birth of Jesus. And when we do this, we're peering into a beautiful and sacred mystery. Emmanuel, God with us. This evening, I want to explore this mystery together. Before I go further, let me explain what I mean by the word mystery. There's a world of difference between the Christian and the common understanding of this word. Here's how theologian Joseph Augustine de Noya describes it. When we say that the incarnation is a mystery, we don't mean that it is permanently incomprehensible. We mean that it is endlessly comprehensible. Not darkness, but too much light is what we encounter in this mystery. When we say it's a mystery, it doesn't mean that we have nothing further to say about the incarnation, but that we can't say enough about it. The mystery of the incarnation is so far-reaching, he says, in its meaning and so breathtaking in its beauty that it possesses a limitless an unending and inexhaustible power to attract and transform the minds and hearts in which it is pondered, digested, loved, and adored. It is not darkness but too much light that makes the incarnation a mystery. For all eternity, our eyes will be adjusting to the bright light of Jesus Christ. And this evening, I want us together to ponder, to digest, to love, and adore this holy brightness together. Not in an attempt to resolve or simplify this mystery, but that we might be taken further up and further into it. And so to do this, we're going to be looking at the nativity story perhaps a bit differently together this evening through the eyes of an artist. Like biblical commentaries on a bookshelf, paintings can be visual commentaries that illuminate the scriptures for us. And I've found that to be true of the painting that you see on our screens. It's also on the front of your bulletins. 
You can look at it as we go through this evening. It's called Nativity by the artist Hachi. Now let me say a few things about the artist. Hachi is uh, Chinese. He was born in China. And as a teenager during the Cultural Revolution, it was his job to paint portraits of Chairman Mao. Uh, they were in high demand during this time. This was preferable work over working in the fields. And while he was in the studio one day, he came across an old art magazine. And in this magazine, he discovered one of Raphael's paintings of the Madonna and child. And she was profoundly moved by this painting, profoundly moved by what he saw. He would go on to paint Mal by day and Mary and Jesus by night. And this experience with the painting and painting it led him to become a Christian. God breaks into our lives in all sorts of surprising ways. She went on to study medieval and modern art in Germany and then Chinese folk art in China. And we see all of these influences coming together in this painting. We see medieval stained glass, a modern Chagall, Picasso vibe, and it's all transposed through the idiom of Chinese folk art. Now, Chi is a careful and faithful interpreter of this story and the Gospel of Luke uh, more broadly. In this painting, we see the Gospel passage that Mother Andrea read for us collapsed all into one canvas. And we're going to allow this painting to guide our eyes through the scriptures to catch new colors in the story of Jesus' birth. And we'll see that the mystery of Christmas is full of surprises. Now, after Mary gave birth to Jesus, in verse 8, Luke directs our gaze to the shepherds who are in the field. We're told that they're keeping watch over their sheep by night. So the first thing I want to say, and the first thing I want us to see, is that this scene happens at night. But the truth is, God's people have been in dark, in the dark, for a very long time. You see, before these miraculous events, before an angel spoke to Zechariah in the temple, before a virgin bore the Son of God, the Lord had been silent for centuries. We wouldn't know it if we were just flipping through our Bible. We can go from the Old Testament to the New Testament with just a flip of a page. But the time between the final words of Malachi and the first words of the Gospel of Matthew were 400 years. God went silent, and his people had been waiting 400 years. Waiting 400 years for God to speak, for God to show up, for God to save them. From their enemies. You can think of it this way, for 400 years it was always Advent, but never Christmas. And then, out of a long and dark silence, God speaks. In the dark of night, an angel appears. In verse 9, the glory of the Lord, the splendor of God, floods the plains. And the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And she paints this brilliantly. You see the angel at the top of the painting. Notice the change in light divided by geometric lines. 
The angel's body pierces the darkness. The veil is torn open as this messenger preaches the good news. It's like lightning strikes and Christ is suddenly illuminated. There's power and light in the proclamation of the gospel. And so this is the first surprise that we see in the painting, but it's not simply that God is now speaking. It's to whom he's speaking. It's surprising that the first people that he speaks to are shepherds. We see two shepherds at the right center of the painting. One is holding a shepherd's crook in his right hand. They're both looking up to the angel as he preaches. Now, if we understand how shepherds were viewed in the first century, we'll understand just how shocking it is that these ones were the first to receive the good news of the gospel. In his commentary on Luke, New Testament scholar James Edwards describes shepherds as people who are at the bottom rung of power and privilege in the first century. They were nomads, and so they lived in the lands outside of the cities and towns. And because they lived apart from civil society for so long, they were viewed with suspicion and with scorn. This disqualified them from being legal witnesses in that society. And this is partly why I believe the Christmas story is true. If you're writing a story, if you're trying to get people to believe something as unbelievable as a virgin giving birth to the Son of God, you would not rely on shepherds as your first witnesses. You simply wouldn't do it. Nobody would trust a shepherd. Nobody in their right mind would make this up if they wanted this story to be taken seriously. And yet, God is full of surprises. The father entrusts his one and only son to two vulnerable teenagers. The first preachers of the gospel are people on the fringe. Mary's Magnificat is coming true. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Those on the edge are brought into the center. This is good news of great joy. And the second surprise in this story is related to the horizon of this good news. And by horizon, I mean its reach and its implications. The horizon of the gospel is endless. The birth of this baby means nothing less than the renewal of the whole world. And this is symbolized in the painting by sheep along the bottom of the frame. After the angel announces the birth of Jesus, in verses 13 and 14, we see that a multitude of the heavenly host suddenly appears praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We hear the first Noel. It's an amazing scene. An angel appears, the glory of the Lord floods the fields, an angelic choir sings, and this is a song and light show that would put the best megachurch worship experience to shame. The choir is singing before shepherds, and of course, where there are shepherds, there are sheep. And she, the careful interpreter, paints them in this painting as if they were dancing, It looks like there's a sheep conga line happening. And it might seem like a stretch, but I actually don't think that it is. 
The psalm that we heard sung, Psalm 98, says that when the Lord comes, all creation will sing. All creation will join in the chorus. Verse 8 says, let the sea make a noise and all that is in it, the lands and those who dwell therein. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills ring out with joy before the Lord when he comes to judge the earth. This isn't poetic license. It's not a metaphorical flourish. All that has been made by the Lord will sing praise when the Lord comes. All things, the birds and the sky, the fish and the sea, the beasts and the field, and of course, God's image bearers with them. In Romans 8, St. Paul tells us that all creation is waiting. All creation has been waiting. Creation waits with eager expectation for the revealing of the children of God. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, it wasn't just humans that were cursed. Creation also was cursed. Everyone and everything became bound by the ravages of sin. And creation is waiting for the day of release. And on this dark night, that day has dawned. In this little baby, the chains are beginning to break. And so this is the second surprise. The gospel is for the birds. In Christ, God has married himself to what he has made. The good news of great joy is for every corner of creation, as far as the curse is found. In the incarnation, the God who created all things became a created thing himself so that he can make all things new. Now, if we move to the center, the focal point of this painting and of our scriptures and of the whole world is the greatest surprise of all, a newborn baby. The word of the Father now in flesh appearing. In this painting, we see Jesus tenderly held in his mother's arms, and you'll notice he's the only figure that's fully bathed in light. The whole scene revolves around the light of the world. If you look closely at the painting, you'll see Jesus is holding something. He's holding a big red apple. The apple is a reference to the Garden of Eden. She links Jesus to Adam just as the Gospel of Luke does in the next chapter, in chapter 3, in the genealogy of Jesus. In 3.38, we read at the end of the genealogy, Jesus is the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And the, the apple is a powerful symbol. It says that Jesus is the second Adam, but he's different this apple falls far from the tree. Where Adam failed, Jesus would succeed. Adam was the first man to taste death, and Jesus is the man who would taste death for us all. Through his life and death, Jesus is the doorway to a new way of being human beings. Now, in some ways, the nativity story suggests that Jesus is a normal human baby. He developed for, for nine months in his mother's womb. He was birthed into the world through all the sweat and strength, through all the beauty and pain that this requires. 
He would know the comfort of a belly full of milk, the joy of first steps and friendship. And Jesus would also know the feelings of hunger and temptation, of loneliness and betrayal, of fear and violence. Jesus would know even death. Jesus is fully human. But in other ways, of course, Jesus is the least normal baby ever. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is God from God, light from light, eternal, the only begotten Son of the Father. Jesus is both fully God and fully human. It's an amazing mystery. Now, I want to end this evening by sharing about one of our family traditions. On Christmas morning tomorrow, before we open gifts, after we open our stockings, but before we open our gifts, one of our traditions is to take turns reading passages about Jesus. I'm sure many of you do this in your own homes. We read from the Bible and, of course, with our children from the Jesus Storybook Bible. We also read passages from poets and saints who, in their own ways and in their own times, have tried to give voice to the infinite mystery of the Incarnation. We all take turns reading some of our favorite passages, and one passage that I call dibs on every Christmas, the one that I always read, is a passage by St. Augustine from one of his Christmas Day sermons. And I want to finish my sermon by reading how he began his Christmas Day sermon 16 centuries ago. Listen to what he, how he describes Jesus. Maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. In the father he remains, from his mother he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the form of God and small in the form of a servant. I love how he poetically puts these paradoxes together. Augustine draws us into the mystery of the infinite becoming finite, of the Lord becoming a little baby. This is the greatest surprise and the brightest mystery. God has become like us so that we might become like him. Amen.